Serving up the strategies you need to build, market and monetize a profitable, future-proof business around your expertise. This is the Youpreneur Podcast. And here's your host, international business mentor and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 484 of the Youpreneur Podcast. It's great to be back with you as always, and we've got a great show lined up for you this week. Um, My good friend and mentor, Michael Hyatt, is back on the show for about the fifth or sixth time here. And uh, we talk all about his new book, Mind Your Mindset, which he co-authored with his daughter, Megan, who uh, now runs his company, Full Focus. And um, we're going to be sort of deep diving on the subjects of entrepreneurial mindset and how we can ultimately zoom in on challenging ourselves and almost sort of controlling the narrative that we have as business owners when it comes to problems that we face, opportunities that are presented to us, and obviously how to best utilize certain situations that we put ourselves in. Before we get into that conversation, though, however, I did want to just remind everybody that we have got a brand new assessment tool on the Youpreneur website, which you can go and check out right now by visiting youpreneur.com forward slash assessment, which will give you your next steps for scaling your business. It's a a really unique assessment tool that we've put together for business owners. It takes about two to three minutes maximum to go through it. And we dive in on the subjects of your systems and processes, your lifestyle as a business owner, as well as obviously the sales and the marketing of your business as well. And by the time you're done, you can just punch in your email address and we'll send you a personalized report as well as a selected piece of free training that'll enable you to be able to figure out exactly what you need to do next in order to continue to grow and scale your business in a positive way. So if you haven't already taken the assessment and you want to make sure that you, uh, you know, spend the next six to nine months working on the right things, then you can head over one more time to youpreneur.com forward slash assessment. And like I said, you'll be sent a personalized report via email along with that free training so you know exactly what you need to be focused on. Now, onto that conversation with myself and Michael. Youpreneur FM, helping you build the business of you. So Michael, welcome back to the Youpreneur podcast for what Quite frankly, seems like maybe the dozenth time here. You've been you've been on this show a lot, haven't you? Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, I have been. I was actually just wondering that myself. Maybe four times, maybe five times. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. know. It, it feels like it's more because we converse, obviously. But like, I th- I think when I look back at our our stats, I know your shows are always in our top ten. They're always wow. among. It's yourself. It's Amy Porterfield. Um, and yeah, maybe two or three other people, Jay Bear, you know, they those names come up over and over and over again with all the past episodes. So it's a pleasure to have you back. And uh, thank you. We're celebrating yet again another new book that you've written with your daughter, Megan. And um, I mean, you are a monster when it comes to knocking out these books, man. I mean, it's it's like you've been in the publishing industry your entire career. <laughs> well, I do have kind of an unfair advantage because, as you know, I spent most of my career in the book publishing industry. And so I was like a literary midwife to hundreds, maybe a few thousand authors. 
in helping them give birth to their book. So I saw it up close and personal and then decided to write, start writing my own books. I think I'm up to 16 now. Yeah, you're doing a good job, that's for sure. Thank you. Um, where did where did the idea come for Mind Your Mindset? This this is a great question because it it's really part of our coaching business. This whole mindset issue, and I think one of the things I've re realized in my career is that you know you can have all the experience in the world, you could have two PhDs, you could ha have a great Rolodex of contacts. If anybody knows what a Rolodex is. Uh, you can have all kinds of resources. Some, some of the people that tune in are that old, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I know because they tell jokes on Twitter and I get them, <laughs> right? <laughs> but we're, we're in the same crowd then. Yeah. Um, but, but none of that is as important as mindset because you can have all those assets, but if your mindset is not right, if your thinking is not right, then you're not going to get the results you hope for. And so it was really back in the early 2000s that I hired an executive coach by the name of Eileen, and I dedicate the book Mind Your Mindset to her. And so she was she was somebody that, that taught me. She said, look, I know that you're trying to grow this business. And I was managing, I was a CEO of a large publicly traded book publishing company, Thomas Nelson Publishers, which started in the UK. And uh, we're really trying to grow. And she said, look, if you want extraordinary results, you're going to have to start taking different actions. You need new strategies. And I said, okay, you know, we're willing to do that. She said, but you're not going to take the right actions or adopt new strategies until you adjust your thinking. And so if you swim upstream, the thinking is the cause of everything else. So just to give you a, an example and a story, Back in 2009, we were in the midst of the recession. Eileen was still my executive coach. And so she flew into Nashville, where I, where I reside, and she was going to spend the day with me. So she flew in once a month for a full day. It was about 75% psychotherapy and about 25% business right. coaching. Right, right. And so she said, well, tell me how last month turned out. And by that, she meant the financial results for July. And I said, well, not so good. She said, really? What happened? And I said, well, we, we fell short about 10% on the top line revenue, and we lost money on the bottom line. So no profit, we went in the hole. She said, wow, I'm really kind of surprised. She said, when I was here last month, you were so confident that you were on track to hit the budget and you thought you had a good chance to exceed it. And I said, I know, I know. She said, well, what happened? And I said, well, I would say there were three causes. Now I was preparing for a board meeting. So I was trying to marshal my excuses as it were and <laughs> manage your own perception right yeah <laughs> that's right so i said to her i said first of all the recession i said uh foot traffic at book retail has never been lower people are just not going into bookstores and buying books that's number one consumer confidence is depressed i mean this whole recession thing has has created all kinds of chaos i said the second reason is that i'm in an industry that's in turmoil we're in the process of converting from print to digital and living in Nashville, I'd witnessed what happened to the music industry when it went from analog to digital. And I had a lot of friends that lost their jobs in the music industry, a lot of businesses that went out of business. And so I said, that's kind of upended our industry and we're not quite sure what's gonna happen. And I said, the third thing is social media. And social media wasn't brand new in 2009, but it was new-ish. Yeah, And we still hadn't figured out how to use it for marketing. And, you know, a lot of people would argue 
that people still haven't learned how to use it for marketing. But in those days, it just, all, all the traditional marketing stuff had was kind of broken. It wasn't working like it used to. And social media, we hadn't harnessed yet. So I said, those are your three reasons. So she just kind of paused. She was taking notes and she said, okay, but what was it about your leadership that led to these results? I said, what? She said, what was it about your leadership that led to these results? And I said, well, this had nothing to do with my leadership at all. Right. You know, I just got to explain to you three reasons why we got this result. The recession, our industry, social media. What else do you need? She said, well, what was it about your leadership? Clearly, I wasn't getting the message. So she said to me, let me, let me try another tack. She said, if you were to go back 30 days, knowing then what you know now, would you have done anything differently? And I said, yeah. She said, well, like what? I said, well, I would have done a stand-up meeting with the sales team every morning just to make sure that we were tracking toward the target and on pace to exceed the budget. She said, okay, great. What else would you have done? I said, well, I probably would have gone on that call to Walmart and Target, two big mass retailers here in the US. And I would have gone to those uh, to those retailers with the sales team, because I think I could have kind of bulldozed some more product into those stores. She said, okay, great. So I gave her about like three to five reasons and she sat back and she said, so what you're telling me is that it was about your leadership. Because if you had to do it all over again, you would have led differently. And I said, that is exactly right. The mm -hmm. point she was making, Chris, and especially apropos to this topic of mind your mindset, is the problem wasn't out there. It wasn't the economy. Those were factors. It wasn't my industry. It wasn't social media. The problem was really inside between my ears. It was in my thinking. And if I could reform that, then I could change the results. And boy, that lesson has been one of the most powerful lessons I ever learned in business is taking ownership for my results and being self-aware about my thinking and harnessing it in a way that's empowering. And that's what this book is all about. Yeah, I love this. So, uh, I mean, like, that's a really good story. And, you know, you you are a very good storyteller, right? Thank we've, you. We've had dinners, we've had lunches over the years, and you have always told great stories. Um, some of some them, of them are true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You took the words out of my mouth. Some of them actually happened. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> so how do you think, let me ask you this. So like, you know, we're talking about mindset here. How does this work into our, into our minds, into our brains? Like how, how, do, how do you do that? How do you tell better stories like that in regards to the way that you remember things and like, how you shape those those stories? Like, how, how does that work for you? You know, um, the subtitle of the book is is interesting. It's, it's Mind Your Mindset. And the subtitle is The Science That Shows Success Starts With Your Thinking. And so one of the things that Megan and I did in, in preparation to write this book and include in the book is we did a lot of research on brain science. And one of the things that your brain does is you have this vast neural network inside your head. In fact, if you take all the neurons in your head and all the possible connections, you literally have a neural network that's an order of magnitude larger than the World Wide Web inside your head. 
And so what happens is your brain, you have what are called concept cells, neurons that store bits of information. So your age may be stored in a cell and your wife's name is stored in a cell and this fact and that fact, but that's not enough. So those things start firing together. You know, the neurons that, that fire together, wire together, and they start creating neural pathways and they manifest themselves in our thinking as stories. We cannot exist without stories. We cannot exist without meaning. And the way that we evolved is our, our brain is constantly trying to protect us, trying to keep us from getting eaten by some big thing, you know, or keep us safe from some little thing that could be poisonous, but it's always trying to keep us safe, which is not the optimal thing for growth. Because to grow, you got to get outside of your, your comfort zone, sure, but sure, your brain yeah. will tell your stories that will keep you small. So, um, one of the things one we have devoted an entire chapter in the book mind your mindset to something we call the narrator so the narrator is this voice inside your head sounds remarkably like you sounds like our own voice right. and that narrator is like the color commentator on a sports game so I, I think you have this in the uk but when there's a when there's a soccer game british football yeah. Uh, you have real, real right? football, some might say. But, real football. You know, we're not here to debate this. Carry no, on. <laughs> I I can see the point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but you have what's happening on the field. Yes. You know, this player scores that. This player gets this penalty, whatever it is. There's the facts, and then there's the narrators that are telling you what it means and where the game is going. And that's exactly how your brain functions. But the first challenge for any of us to begin to reshape our mindset and, and serve us better is to become self-aware that inside our head is this narrator trying to make meaning. Sometimes the narrator gets it right. Oftentimes the narrator gets it wrong. In fact, we know based on our, our brain research, this is still astonishing when I say it, but 20, up to 20% of our memories are likely false, as in never happened, we made it up. Up to 70% of our memories are distorted in some significant way. So in the book, we outline a three-step process for exactly how you can deconstruct these stories and make them more useful. Why? So that you can get better results in your life and work. Okay. This, okay, this is so good. I love the fact that there's so much science involved in this. This is a different book for you. It is. And I've, it, it's been interesting on Amazon and I, you know, the book's only been out a couple of weeks now, but yeah. uh, we've got a 4.9 rating. There's always, it seems like that two-star review, which of course, as an author, I hyper-focus on, forget all yeah. the other five-star reviews. Of course you do. But it's, but it's rated better than any book I've ever uh, written before. And I think it's because of this, people like stuff that's rooted in science, but they also what a practical application. And of course, I'm not a brain scientist. I'm not a psychologist. I don't have any pro professional pedigree in any of this, yep. which I think is exactly why I'm qualified to write it, because I can can put the cookies down on a shelf where the rest of us kids can reach it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously your daughter, Megan, uh, came on, well, I mean, she's been working with you for a long time, but she came on board uh, and took over the day-to-day -day running of the business a few years ago. 
Um, you've had the rebrand over the last year or so to full focus from the Michael Hyatt company. And she now runs that for you ultimately day to day. Was there anything specific other than just co-authoring the book with you? Was there something specific that Megan brought to the party in regards to what ended up going in the book? Like one particular chapter that she was like, "Uh, uh-uh, no dad, this is mine. I got this kind of thing. Like, was there anything like that from her side? Well, I would say that Megan and I have really been philosophically aligned since she got through the teenage years. <laughs> Not so much of the teenage years. I was, I was going to say, how did the teenage years go? <laughs> but, you know, we're kind of at the point where we can complete each other's sentences. And, you know, she's, I'm about to say something, and then she'll say the thing I was thinking of. Right, right. And so I think for both of us, we realized that this issue of thinking was an undercurrent, whether it was in my book, Your Best Year Ever, or Free to Focus or The Vision Driven Leader, that all of it, there's always a section on mindset. And so in many ways, this book, Mind Your Mindset, is the prequel to the rest of our work. Now, Megan had had an interesting series of experiences as well. So this was almost 10 years ago. She adopted two boys from Uganda. These were not brothers, but they were from the same orphanage. Um, They got here very young. I think they were like four and two. But even by that time, it was clear they had some attachment issues. Um, and a lot of kids do who were raised in orphanages. You know, they just don't have, don't have the privilege of attaching to a parent. And it creates a lot of downstream behavioral problems. And that was certainly true for Jonah and Moses, my two grandsons. So they got here and they began to manifest these really bad behavioral issues. Like they were kicked out of several stu- uh, schools. They would get in fights. They were hostile at home. And Megan and Joel, Joel is my son-in-law, they began to worry that if these kids stayed on the same trajectory, they were going to end up in prison. I mean, there was no way about it. I mean, it was a deep concern and fear that everybody in the family shared. So Megan, true to form, uh, she began scouring the earth, trying to find somebody that had figured this out and could help them solve this problem, solve these behavioral problems and compensate for this detachment or this lack of attachment that they felt. So they found this psychotherapist by the name of Arlita. She's the second person the the book's dedicated to. And she specializes really in narrative therapy. And so what what she wanted to know is what is the story that the boys are telling themselves about their adoption? Because that, true to the premise of the book, is what drives their behavior and lands them with these unsavory, unpleasant results. So what she discovered in talking to him is that the two boys were convinced that Megan and Joel had kidnapped them, kidnapped them from Africa, brought them to the U.S. against their will and against their parents' will. Good Lord. And, and they were basically imprisoned. And their whole, the whole driving force of their life was to get back to uh, sort of this idealized version of Uganda, sort of the Garden of Eden, where they could be reunited with their parents and live happily ever after. So, and this is something we spend a lot of time in the in the book talking about. You have to separate the facts from the story we're telling about it. So step one in the book is to identify the story. And so in identifying the story, we have to say, okay, there's the facts. There's what happens to us. 
Yep. And then there's the meaning that we assign to what happens to us. Those are two different things. Facts can be true. The stories can be true-ish, but no single story is going to be 100% accurate. So she began to work with the boys, Arlita did, in separating the facts. And so, okay, here are the facts. Both of your, both boys' dads had died. Number two, the moms were like teenage moms, couldn't care for the boys and put them up for adoption. They didn't, they were hoping that they would get a better life in the U.S. And so she began to lay out on a timeline, Arlita with the boys, as she began, and this is step two in the process, is to interrogate the story. So she began to interrogate the story and write down the facts and create a new timeline. And then she would have them rehearse this new timeline over and over again. So that's like step three is to create a better story or to imagine a better story. So identify she the story. So, so fundamentally, they were tra- she was train- training them to train their minds ultimately. That's, a, that's exactly right. Because again, to go back to the science, these boys had these neural pathways and there would be something at school that would trigger them. They would go down that story and then they would act out. So what she was trying to do, both through narrative therapy and through, um, what do they call it? Neurofeedback. She basically was trying to reprogram the mind so that different neurons wired together. So there was a new neural pathway so that that trigger lost its power over the boys. Right. And that's exactly what happened. The boys are doing fantastic. I mean, they're, you know, they're teenagers, so they got their issues, but oh my gosh, total night and day difference. You know, they're good citizens at their schools, they're playing sports, they're doing all the right things. So that seems to have really solved, but, but it was getting down to these stories and unpacking them. Yeah. That's an incredible story. I had no idea that Megan had been going through that for those years. And I mean, she did a great job in making sure that it wasn't obvious to the world that could quite easily, uh, you know, tune into what she was doing when, when, when you guys were working together and everything as well. It's amazing, man. How do we like, as we kind of start wrapping up here a little bit, is there, is there anything we can do mindset wise? You know, I think there's a lot of things, particularly from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you're an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, people who listen to this show are in exactly the same boat. They're dealing you know, every now and then they're dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome. Maybe they're they're kind of talking themselves out of certain opportunities or certain situations that could open the doors to, to other opportunities. Like, what? where do you stand on, on the imposter syndrome debate, per se, and how that plays into our mindset as business owners very specifically? I'm curious to know. Chris, I would say that wherever somebody feels stuck or frustrated, or they just can't seem to go to the next level. That's an opportunity to try to first, like I said in step one, identify the story, interrogate the story, and then to imagine a better story. And I'm going to give you an example here of what entrepreneurs who are maybe feeling that imposter syndrome, because it's a real feeling, right? You know, you just, you can't just say, well, that's just silly, make it go away. No, there's there's got to be a process. And we do have a process in the book, we call it the self-coaching tool where we go through these three steps and anybody can do it on their own. But when it gets to the imagine a better story, I think to lay out the story, and I'm gonna give you an example. Like I, I used to have a horrible fear of public speaking and Megan did too. In fact, the, she tells the story in the book. I don't tell my story, but I want to tell you my story. Um, 
so I had this deathly fear of it. And at least in the US, it's the number one fear of adults. They fear public speaking more than death, which Jerry That's Seinfeld pretty, says. It's pretty hardcore. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hardcore. Jerry Seinfeld says that what that means is that if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than on the stage giving the eulogy. <laughs> yeah, it's so, wild. Wild. So anyway, so I, I had this tremendous fear. I when whenever ever I was asked to speak publicly, like I, I could not sleep the night before. My hands would sweat profusely. My underarms would sweat so much that I would sometimes wear two t-shirts, just hoping that I wouldn't sweat through them and then give myself away. I'd about throw up before I'd step on stage, and I avoided all this. Well, this this is can hinder your career, right? Oh, Especially yeah. in the work that you and I do, where. You know, speaking is a big part of it. It may be as simple as a podcast interview like this, or maybe actually stepping on a stage and speaking to a thousand people like I did this last weekend. But regardless, I had this debilitating fear of public speaking. So at some point I had to say, okay, what's the story I'm telling myself? There's, it felt like an existential threat. And so I had to realize that, that uh, there was some story I was telling to myself that wasn't true. The facts may have been true, but it wasn't true. For example, the facts are that I would get nervous. The facts are that my pulse would rise. The facts were that I would sweat. Those are facts. But the story that I was in mortal danger of dying, just not true. <laughs> right. So I said, what if this adrenaline is a God-given gift to make me perform at my peak? And so I started changing, and I cut this completely new neural network in my brain, where every time I'd experience those facts, I would say to myself, oh, this is just my body's way of preparing itself for peak performance. This is my body's way of preparing itself for peak performance. So now I welcome it because I know that when I have adrenaline, I'm thinking clearly, more clearly than ever. I'm thinking fast. Like I can process information, come up with stories, do all these things that that don't occur to me when I'm just preparing because I don't have the adrenaline when I'm preparing. And so now it's a welcome thing. I'd hate to step on stage or do an interview like this without, you know, the benefit of that super drug called adrenaline. So I had to write a different script. Sometimes, just to give you one more, sometimes we have to change our language. There's this, in the brain science, there's a reciprocal, lang uh, there's a reciprocal relationship between our language and our thinking. So typically we think that our language is something that simply is an expression of our thinking. I think something and then I find the words to express myself. But it's reciprocal in the sense that our language will actually shape our thinking and particularly shape our emotions. So one day I was going to social media marketing world, an, an event you know well, and I had just boarded my plane in Nashville. We were still at the gate. I sat down in my chair my seat. And I had one of my best friends call me and he said, Hey, what's up? And I said, well, I have to go to San Diego to give a speech. He paused. He said, wait a second. He said, you have to go to San Diego. He said, first of all, I doubt that anybody held a gun to your head. Number two, <laughs> you're going to San Diego. It's like the best climate on the planet. Yeah. And pretty good. Fish tacos. You Hello. Know, Hello. Which I love them. Yeah. And then third, he said, 
you've you since you started this business, you said you wanted to do public speaking and you wanted to write. Those were your two focuses. So it doesn't seem to me like you have to go to San Diego. It sounds to me like you get to go to San Diego. And this is a privilege and an opportunity. And I said, you're right. Yeah. And so just changing our language, you know, it sometimes feels uncomfortable. We have to grow into it. And that's because we're trying to jump the groove in our brain from that old story, that old neural network to a new one. And it'll feel awkward at first, just like learning to play the guitar. You know, you have, it's very rudimentary at first. But the more you practice, the better you get at it, uh, the more natural it feels. Totally. Absolutely. And I love I, I loved that framing of I get to instead of I have to. Years ago, I remember I was traveling from the Philippines. Uh, it was the last ever job I ever had. Um, and the, the guy who was ultimately my boss at the time, we were, we were flying to Vegas for a show from the Philippines. You have to go Philippines to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to LA, LA to Vegas. It's a lot of travel. That's a lot, a lot of, of travel. A lot of travel, a lot of airplanes. And, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty intense. And about, I don't know, three, four hours into this long, long, long flight between Hong Kong. I think it's a 15-hour flight between Hong Kong and LA. LA. He, uh, he he comes from the, from, from the, uh, from the front of the plane because, obviously, I'm his employee. I can't be up in business with him. You know, he's going to put me up in you know, back in economy. So I'm in economy, which didn't make that long flight any better. I can tell you that right now. But he comes back to economy from business. He's got a bottle of champagne and two glasses. I'm like, all right, at least I can get a little tipsy on the flight. Things might move a little quicker. And uh, after about 20 minutes of talking, I say to him, like, you know, oh, it's just this trip is so brutal. I mean, just the journey itself, it's just so long and so arduous and blah, 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 blah. And he said, and I'll never forget these words. He said to me, do yourself a favor. I get it. I get it entirely. But do yourself a massive favor right now. Stop thinking about the journey and start thinking about the destination. Yes. Because exactly. we're going to, he was like, we're going to Vegas, baby. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I've never forgotten that, right? It's not about the journey, it's about the destination. Or maybe it is about the journey, but we've got to kind of, you know, switch things around in our head a little bit. Yeah. Hey, before well, we leave, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, that's just another example, I think, of uh, a slight adjustment in our thinking can make a world of difference in what we experience and, again, the results that we get. Yeah, it sure can. Okay, i got one more question for you before okay. we part ways. Um, and it's a bit of a personal one. I know that you, and obviously, I mean, you put it up on social media. Everybody knows this. You had open heart surgery uh, not so long ago. You have, over the last three, four, five years, become really hardcore on your personal health, and you've talked a lot about it. And then you have a, a very mild heart attack, and you have this uh, surgery. The moment I saw it, I got flashbacks because it's the exact same surgery that my mother had many years ago as well. Mm. And here you are now launching a new book, continuing to run a multi-seven-figure business uh, with your daughter, with your incredible team. You're speaking, you're traveling again, you're coaching. I mean, like from, from somebody who I've always, you know, very been very vocal about the fact that I've always looked at you as a mentor, as well as a friend. Thank what, you. What, what, what can I do, man? What can I do and what can other people do when we're positioned or, or we're put in a position where something pretty life-changing like open heart surgery 
is, for want of a better term, forced upon us. How does one get their mind around something like that? Because that's a defining moment, whether you want it to be or not, right? This It absolutely is. And I think this happens whenever we experience adversity. And you know, sometimes we need to grieve, give ourselves a little grace and grieve the loss of something, um, whether it was my image of being like this uber healthy person, you know, there was a certain grief that went through that, right? But eventually you want to get to this question, what does this adversity make possible? Now, again, to tell you another story, uh, one of the things that happens after open heart surgery is you go into cardiac rehab where you begin to exercise again, and it happens soon after the surgery, but they put a lot of monitors on you so they can see what's happening so you don't get into the danger zone. And then there's always an educational component, uh, at least in the in the rehab program I was in, where after working out on Tuesdays, we go in and we sit down and the nurse teaches us something, nutrition, stress management, exercise, whatever it is. So in the very first session, and I had seven fellow patients in this class with me, so there are eight of us sitting there, the nurse says to us, what does your heart attack mean to you? Or your heart surgery mean to you? The guy right across the, the table from me he was the first one to speak. And he said, well, my life is basically over. He said, it's going to be a, a decline from here till the end. And then I'm going to die. I'm past my peak. And life as I know it is over. Man, that just rocked me back. I thought, wow. Yeah, yeah it's rocked me. Just listening to you tell the story. So yeah. my doctor had called me when I was in the hospital. And amazing doctor. But he said to me, he said, look, he said, uh, it's going to be very easy for you to second guess yourself if you'd only done this, if you hadn't done that. But he said, none of that can be changed. All that's in the past. He said, forget about it. He said, here's, here's what's true. The future is a blank canvas. He said, you've got more blood flow to your brain than ever before. You've basically been given a new lease on life. You've rebooted your life. And he said, I can't wait to see what you create in this next season. Well, that's a totally different story. Yeah. You know, if I bought into the story of my fellow patient, I'd say, what difference does it make how I eat or if I exercise? Because, you know, this slow decline to death is inevitable. Whereas for me, like I want to double down on that, all that stuff because yeah. I realized that what I have is a gift. Man, you're an inspiration as always. And if I had like, a, you know what I need to do? I need to have like a little button on here that I can press that there's like a round of applause that kicks off at the end of all these shows. Uh, Mike, honestly, dude, you. You, I, I love hanging out with you. I love spending time with you. I haven't seen you in the flesh for way too many years now. I'd say probably close to maybe five years or something, right? Yeah, pre-pandemic. Um, but I mean, yeah, we're here and we're doing our thing and that's all that matters. Uh I am so proud to call you a friend and a mentor. I always have been. And Thank I can't you. wait to see Likewise. what you, I, I I just can't wait to see what kind of trouble you get into now. You've got this, <laughs> like you say, more blood pumping around your body as well as your brain. Like, I mean, I remember when my mom had this surgery, it was like she was a teenager all over again. Like she was, wow. yeah, she had so much more energy and everything. And her and my father, they moved to Spain. They opened up a restaurant and all that good fun stuff. And uh, yeah. Tell you a quick funny story. My dad used to drink the really this. I mean, this is about as dodgy as it comes from a rent restaurateur. He used to drink the really good wine himself and then refill and recork the bottles with the cheap stuff. 
You can take <laughs> the boy out of London, but you can't take London out of the boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, look, man, um, I'll let you run. Thanks again. And uh, congrats on the new book. Give Megan my best. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Thanks, Chris. All right. If you guys tuning in, thank you very much for being with me. As always, it's a pleasure to have you inserting us into your ear. Uh, and I'll see you again next week. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Youpreneur FM. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, why not head over to our official website at youpreneur.com to access all our tools and resources essential to building, marketing, and monetizing a future-proof business based around your expertise. We'll see you next time.